From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about investment advisors. Do we need one? Do we really need one in order to make good investment decisions? Or are the fees that they're charging us making it not worth it? Michael and Adam discussed from a slightly biased view, but incredibly informative, wonderful conversation. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you and your family are staying safe. Let's get to the show. All right. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you guys doing this afternoon? Doing great. It's rainy and warm. There's nothing like a humid day in Austin to make me say I'm doing great. (laughs) Well, that's why you should be up here in Dallas with us. It's a uh, beautiful afternoon here. Oh, no rain? Clear skies. No rain up here. Well, if you couldn't tell, today we're talking about uh, registered investment advisors, obviously. Uh, so You would totally have picked that up from that intro. <laughs> <laughs> so in the industry, we're seeing more and more people turn to robo-advisors, robo and um, we're seeing more and more DIY investors in order to save money on fees and things like that. So my question to you, Adam, is, is there still room for the financial advisor out there? Obviously, I think so. Um, and that's going to sound biased given that I am an investment advisor. Um, but I, for, the first thing I would do is kind of delineate the, the term financial advisor is a pretty broad term. Um, the, the asset builder as a firm is a fiduciary. And there's a big difference between a fiduciary and a non fiduciary advisor. Um, a fiduciary means there is a legal and ethical obligation to do what is in the best financial interest of your client. Now, that's a fancy kind of uh, mix of words there, but essentially what it means is don't sell your clients a bunch of crap just because it makes you a bunch of money, right? (laughs) So whatever you're doing, you have to have a documented, well-reasoned, thought-out approach for why that's what you recommended to your client and why that's what you're implementing. So that's my first thing is Moving forward in this conversation, that's what we're referring to as a fiduciary. Um, and whoever's listening to this, you know, you want to do your research first um, anytime you're looking at hiring anybody to manage your money for you. But assuming we're talking about a fiduciary, um, I absolutely think there's still value. Now, that's kind of a different question from could people do it themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we live in an age with technology and the internet and you know your phone being in your pocket. All of these big custodians, all these different brokerages have apps that make it extremely convenient, extremely easy to plug into your account no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. We see places like Robinhood offering you know more and more commission-free trading. So it's becoming more and more accessible. And even including in addition to that, there's more and more information out there. So you know, it's not as though you couldn't learn kind of the, the fundamentals of portfolio structure, uh, asset allocation, risk mitigation, all these different things. So you could. The issue, right. though, I think is, you know, that's not the only thing that we do. Um, it's certainly a big part of what we do, you know, having the knowledge and the experience to be able to build a set of investments that's going to meet a certain goal. But there's also a much more human component, which I think is a very understated and, and um, doesn't get as much recognition, at least in the industry, as part of what we do. I spend a lot of my time having 
you know, non, um, non nerdy conversations, I would say, where we're not in the weeds, we're not, you know, staring in the Excel spreadsheet, where we're just talking about life. We're talking about the goals they have, the fears they have, the things that keep them up at night, um, you know, kind of their family experiences and things like that, that all play into how they want to manage their money and how they want us to manage their money for them. So ultimately, yeah, you can you can manage your own money. And there's a lot of people out there that want to. Um, but I'm always going to have the advantage as an, an independent third party to be less emotional, to be able to remove myself from the immediacy of the situation. Because obviously, anytime your account value is dropping or going up for that matter, there can be this motivation to do something drastic. And, you know, we saw a lot of that with uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, right. And we have a lot of stories that I'm sure we'll touch on today of of having these types of real life conversations. But ultimately, that's one of my big advantages is I have the experience through my clients that I've gotten to live, you know, uh, so to speak, a bunch of different investment lives. And so I have the ability to stand back and be rational and say, well, what does the data tell us to do in the situation as opposed to this is my life savings, you know, I'm scared. And while that's a valid feeling, part of the value I can bring is just a different perspective and hopefully a more balanced um, data-driven objective. Now, right. I know that kind of, uh, like I said, is going to sound biased given that I am an advisor, but there's actually data that points to this. And there's a bunch of different studies that have been done but one of our favorites that you know Michael and I and the rest of our team we talk about all the time in the office is the Vanguard. Michael, remind me what it's called. The, um, the value of the the value of advice. Yeah, is, the, it, it was the, the uh, advisor alpha. Yeah, right. And so, Michael, why don't you kind of walk us through exactly what that documents? Because that's kind of a you know a third party independent study that we can kind of point to to make this point for us. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting. Um, I was doing some research on this, and there was a, a paper written, uh, the Vanguard paper. There's a Morningstar paper. There, one of the things that that they both suggest, but they don't actually say, is something that Adam said. And then I found this lesser known uh, academic paper that came out of the University of Texas Pan Am down in the Rio Grande Valley, um, and. It said that basically when we use the word advice, we do have to be careful that we're saying financial planning, a holistic, thoughtful advice versus I'm trying to sell you something. So right. the, mm -hmm. the guy who's just trying to sell you something, there there weren't discernible outcomes, uh, differences in outcomes between the guy who's just trying to sell you something and right. somebody who's you know engaged in uh, is a fiduciary and is doing something thoughtful. Um, so the Vanguard study, uh, it said, yeah, there's, there's a value and they attributed, um, that value to different, uh, parts, the different things that an advisor did. Um, so some of it is keeping you invested. For instance, um, we could give you anecdotal stories about clients who wanted to bail and didn't bail. Um, one of one of my favorite ladies uh, that I work with is a lady who's brilliant. Um, she's a client. She's she's brilliant. She's retired. She has a second job. Um, when things hit the skids, she was like, 
oh boy, Michael, what have we done? And we talked and um, she walked up to the ledge and turned around and walked back. And we said, okay, now here's our plan for when things get back to where we want them to be. Now, what was really interesting is as things rebounded, we had this repeated conversation where it was like, but remember when things start to go well, you can't say, oh, okay, now we're fine. Remember that feeling of panic. And if we need to rebalance your portfolio so that if things went down again, you wouldn't be panicked, let's do that. And so yep. she stayed the course and uh, she's recovered nicely. Um, she now is um, in a portfolio that's more suitable long-term, but she didn't pull the pull the cord or, you know, push buttons or doing anything when markets were down. And it took a lot of discipline and it took a lot of conversations. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. It'd be interesting to ask her how much of that was me and how much of it was her and how much of it was her reasoning. Um, Cause I don't really know, but I do know that we had a couple of conversations. Adam was actually part of a couple of them, or at least the email exchanges. Yep. Um, we have clients who said, well, I, want to get out of the market entirely and you would convince them that hey there are other options there's risk reduction that would allow you to take part in something coming back up and so all of that is anecdotal um and what vanguard did is they said well let's put some real numbers some real values on it mm -hmm. what was even i think more interesting is uh morningstar didn't did a a study where they said, hey, we're actually going to put a percentage value on it. And what they said was an advisor uh, can, if you're trying to earn income in retirement, for instance, um, can help you get an additional 1.59% in value through portfolio construction, through helping you stay the course through all of these things. So now that doesn't sound like a lot, but um, if you think about it, let's say you're expecting to take 4% of the, you know, the safe withdrawal rate, the 4% withdrawal rate, and somebody said, well, instead, working with an advisor, you can expect to get 5.6%. Uh, that's pretty significant. It's, it's almost 22.6, uh, I think, is the actual increase in value. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, there are these quantifiable ways that people have sat down and said, well, working with an advisor is more than just the anecdotes. There are actually uh, academic studies that have been published now in research journals that say, yeah, people who work with advisors, because they stay the course, because they have portfolios that change sometimes and are moderated over time, they do better. It doesn't mean that you couldn't have picked a brilliant stock and you didn't right. need an advisor to do that. But over time, the average person will do better with an advisor. Yep. And that's, you know, one of the things I like most about um, the the Vanguard study, Michael, is <clears throat> I think the numbers are, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you know the specifics better than I do, but I think it was something like, because the Vanguard study, the Morningstar study was, I think, focused on income. Whereas the Vanguard study was goal-based, right? So they basically looked at a lot of different goals and said, regardless of what your goal is, whether it's income, whether it's wealth accumulation, charitable giving, whatever your goal is, if you have a goal, working with an advisor, 80% of people met their goal. 
if they worked with an advisor. Folks that did not work with an advisor, 50% of those people reached their goal, right? So 80% mm. versus 50%. That's a pretty significant chunk uh, of those people increased working with an advisor. And what I like about that is that it's it's irrespective of your goal. So it's not saying that advisors are really good at structuring an income portfolio, although some are. It's not that adv advisors have you know super secret insight into what stocks are going to go up or down, right? Some of these advisors like stocks, some like options, some index like we do. What it's really telling you is advisors just help you miss those really big mistakes that most people at some point or another in their life are going to fall victim to. Super mm -hmm. simple stuff like buy low, sell high, right? If that's all an advisor helps you do, that's huge. Because most people at one point or another in their life, i.e. the coronavirus situation that we're going through, you're going to sell low. And that has huge knock-on effects long-term uh, when we're looking at the growth of wealth. So it's, it's the really simple stuff that advisors, not because we're super smart, anybody can do this if you put in the time and the effort, like a lot of things. It's just, this is our day job, right? We have the experience and the discipline and the ability just by virtue of, hey, we're a third party. I'm not the one that worked for 40 years to build up this retirement portfolio. I can be objective. And so as long as you're compensating that advisor in a way that aligns their interest with yours, then you can rely on the fact that, well, their objective view is probably going to be a little bit more reason than mine especially when things are really, really good or really, really bad in the market. Yeah, and I think some people um, might prefer to do DIY um, basically because they don't want to pay any of those advisor fees, you know. And so I guess the question becomes, you know, will getting advisor overcome, you know, the amount that I would lose if I didn't have an advisor? In other words, is the emotional decision going to be more damaging or are the fees going to be more damaging? Yeah. Well, it, and that's that comes down to what are you paying for this advice? So let's imagine that uh, you go through, you do the math and you are willing to acknowledge, hey, I'm not I'm not somebody who sits in the boat when the boat gets rocky. I like to get out at the wrong time. I try to get back in at the wrong time. So mm -hmm. I make bad decisions. Let's say that you you you're willing to stipulate all that as an investor, which most people aren't because nobody wants to say like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm irrational. Right. right. Yeah. And so or or I'm emotional. I mean, I think we all yeah. like to think like, yeah, we make rational, emotionless decisions. And yet, I mean, Adam and I both would probably oh. tell you that during coronavirus, <laughs> there were plenty of nights where we stayed up and were like. It's really tormenting when it's other people's money and you're like, is this the one time that I should be telling people, yeah, everything we know is wrong. Get right. out now. So there's there's definitely this this part of it that even for us with other people's money, maybe even more so it becomes emotional. But yet you have to go back to, hey, this is what we know to be true. Mm -hmm. We have yep. no evidence that this isn't true eventually. Um, so let's talk and let's figure out. You have to just out. rely on the data. You have to yeah. rely on the data. Period. But now if somebody was charging you 2%, let's say, for that mm -hmm. advice, well, now th their hurdle is they have to actually make 2% more than you could make even after you admit like, okay, all these things are true about me. Well, if the reality is that an advisor 
helps you earn an additional one and a half percent, let's say, then what you really need to do is figure out, okay, how can I pay less than one and a half percent, less than one percent to get that good advice? Um, because if you're paying more than the advice is worth, then no, I mean, you'd be better off earning one and a half percent less, but putting the two percent fee back in your pocket. Right. So it, it really does come down to, you know, what do you pay? Cost benefit analysis. There is Absolutely. a benefit, but what's that cost? And I have this theory and departing from the research and data here, I have zero data that supports this. So preface what I'm about to say with this is just a theory, but I I really feel like it's intuitively true. You know, because our fees are so low, I mean, as long as I've been doing this, I've worked in a low fee environment. So I have the ability to say this. But it makes a lot of people in the financial advice industry and financial services industry uncomfortable, I think, to kind of pare back. You know, a lot of value we offer is just helping you miss those really big mistakes. And of course, we're still adding value along the way in things like portfolio construction. I'm not downplaying those things. But I think for a long time, the financial industry has benefited from making it seem really complex and really scary, mm -hmm. right? Because when you show up to this fancy office with mahogany shelves everywhere, and big overstuffed leather chairs, and this guy in a $2,000 suit and a Rolex is telling you, you know, hey, here's all these complex charts and all these different, you know, uh, pie charts and line charts and, you know, big fancy phrases that are intimidating. It kind of creates this sense in you and I've talked to a lot of my clients about this that have backed this up. It creates this sense of panic and, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I could never do this. It's too, it's too complicated. I'll pay you whatever it takes. Just please make it go away, right? And so they, they have benefited from this overcomplication of what doesn't really have to be that complicated. Do you need to learn it? And do you need to be disciplined and go through the proper steps? Absolutely. But kind of the analogy I always use and this is a rough analogy, but some of what we do, it, it's anybody can understand it. It is not rocket science. Just like anybody can change their own oil if they want to. But the right. fact of the matter is a lot of people just don't want to change their own oil. And if right. I can pay someone a reasonable fee to do it for me and just know it's done right, know it's done well, know they're not going to make the mistake of, you know, putting in the wrong oil or whatever, you know, the, the mistake would be that I would probably make if I'm trying to change my own oil, that's a fair transaction, right? So to Michael's right. point, it's all about, is it an actually, uh, you know, is it a fair transaction for the value you're getting? Right. Michael, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. It, sure. Is it always wrong to pull out of the market when things go south? Is it always 100% the wrong move? Okay, so I have to think of when it would be the right move. Um, okay, so when you say pull out, there, there's, there's a couple different things I would, I, would, I would say. I could create a scenario where it might be the right thing to do. Um, let's say that you invested your money, you now have $2 million, you had three, you needed 1.5, and now it's dropped by a third and you're at two. And you're awake at night and you cannot sleep and you are miserable 
and you're waking up to see what's happening in Tokyo, and you actually don't need to be awake at night, like you have enough that you can just retire and, and live your life, maybe you're already retired, then I wouldn't say you need to be pulled out of the market, but you need to be doing whatever allows you to sleep at night. So right. that, that would be a case that I would say, yeah, I mean, there are people who absolutely can pull out of the market and sell because I think one of the things that this does, uh, a market gyration, market volatility does, is it reveals whether or not we had made the appropriate investment decision in the first place. And and I always phrase it or or as, if you had diagnosed their risk tolerance correctly to begin yes. with. So so it, the way I would say it is we did we get you in the right boat to begin with. Mm-hmm, so if right. you think you're a 100% equity guy, yeah, I can deal with a lot of risk tolerance. Well, over the last 10 years, all that you're really saying is I like the rocket ride up. Yep. And then what we saw in the last, you know, 3 months is but there can be big dips there. And then there can be big recoveries, and we may not be done yet with the recovery and the dip. We might not be hitting a really flat session. We might be, or you know, part of the market. We might be hitting a little bit up. We might be hitting another really big down. Nobody knows. But if you think you're really uh, able to tolerate risk, but yet you were awake every night and you were willing to pull out, and you had to be talked into you know, staying the course, what you might want to do now is consider, hey, instead of being a 100% equity guy or maybe an 80-20, maybe you're actually somebody who's more confident or more comfortable with a 60-40 allocation, something that's a little less volatile. So I think what this really does is it reveals, you know, markets like this reveal what our real, our true appetite for risk is. Um, so right. you can certainly build some unique cases, but if you have a, you know, five, 10, 15 year investment horizon, um, then yeah. no, there's, there's nothing that we can say, oh, over time, if you take your money out of that and you put it into this instead, you will earn a higher return. Right. Yeah. To, to add on to that, I think. I mean, it would help to delineate when you say, is it always wrong? I mean, Mm -hmm. is it ever going to result, is pulling out ever going to result in a financially optimal outcome? Probably not, unless you just time it exactly right, which would be a statistical outlier. Most of the time, no, it's not going to be the right thing to do. But that said, the, the consequences can vary, right, based on the situation that we're talking about, based on the person that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. To Michael's point, if you have six million bucks and it drops to four, well, if you can retire on two million, you still have four, then okay. Then while it's probably still not going to end up in maximizing the the amount of wealth you have at the end of the game, you're still gonna be okay, right? It's not a fatal decision. Now, if you're down in the 300, 400,000 range trying to retire, then it, the, the, the consequences are upped, right? So the stakes are higher. So again, that's where advisors just, that's what we do. We sit with our clients and we help them kind of diagnose where are they on that spectrum so that they kind of know what they're getting into and 
know what the outcome is going to be if they make that kind of decision. Right. Yeah, the other thing, the other thing I would say, Jared, is is kind of the most successful investors, uh, the the most successful clients, honestly, are people who uh, typically are sitting on some cash, and they're waiting for opportunities like this. So I know in in my personal life. Um, it's hard to do, and I have to talk to my wife every time and convince her, even though she has a background in finance and investments, I have to convince her, hey, this, this is really undervalued. We should really be buying now. And she's mm-hmm. like, but it's undervalued for a reason. The world's going to end. And, and that's kind of her, her default mindset. But if you have that extra cash set aside where you're just waiting for something to be undervalued. Um, Mm -hmm. I I would argue, like if, if you ask me, is there ever a time to get out? Sure. After I've invested in something and I've, you know, doubled or tripled my money in a couple of months, whatever that, (laughs) you know, small amount of money might've been, then sure. I would get out of that and then I would wait for things to reset. And then I would dollar cost average back into the market. Um, but I think the, the question you're asking is obviously, well, should I ever sell in a panic at the bottom? And I would argue, well, no, but you can definitely sell when things are a little euphoric. Um, the counter to that would be, well, Michael, people thought things were euphoric, you know, uh, five years ago and the market's done nothing but go up since then. And you would have missed all that if you had just sold out at what you thought was the top. So. Again, uh, maybe there's never a right time to sell. Uh, maybe you should always just hold on to things and um, rebalance and, and move into different asset classes, but, but stay invested. Now, Adam, you're an advisor. So my question to you is, do advisors need advisors for their own investment? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that's yeah, a pretty so, easy answer, actually. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one funny. of the reasons. Go ahead. Well, let me just say this. Uh, working at DFA, it was amazing uh, to me that people who, like the CEO of the company, so the, the fund company that we use, they would talk about talking to their financial advisors. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, uh, goal, uh, their, their financial goals, somebody else would check those to say, Hey, is this realistic? Does this make sense? And I mean, go ahead, Adam, but I would say we do the same thing. Like we talk to each other internally and we say, I'm thinking about doing this. Does it make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think for a lot of different reasons, we're human just like everybody else. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't like to see my account balances drop. So it's extremely valuable to me to have someone that I know has my best interest in mind. Everything is aligned. They're incentivized properly so that I know when they tell me what they think, it's it's because it's what's best for me. And it helps me, you know, because I do this, there can be a sense of hubris at some points of, Mm. well, I do this every day. I know what I'm doing. I can make this decision. I can take this risk. It's just, you know. The average investor, right? As as silly as that sounds, there can be a tendency to think that sometimes. And so to have a, 
a second set of eyes to bounce ideas off of, to bounce thoughts off of. Um, you know, I, I think that it's kind of a similar question to, are you ever a person that would, would, is there a such thing as a person that wouldn't benefit from having like a personal trainer or a dietitian? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I don't care if you're, you know, morbidly obese, whatever, or if you're a top tier world-class athlete, they're going to find a way to add value for you. Right? right. Because that's what they do. They'll tailor the plan so that it makes the most sense for you, whatever situation you're in. So I, I would say, absolutely. Um, there's really no question in my mind. That's a perfect point. Uh, Michael, anything to add to that? No, I think that sums it up well. All right, guys. I think this has been a pretty good conversation. Y'all, uh, y'all ready to get out of here? Yeah. I think so. I think we probably put enough people to sleep. <laughs> well, that's all right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for uh, for hanging around. We'll talk to you next time. Okay. Bye, guys. All right. Bye-bye. See y'all. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.